Ethan. Matt. You find yourself in the desert. There's a tortoise. You flip it on its back. Why would you do that? To give it a raspberry, of course. I'm Ethan Knight. In this episode, on the top 100 of AFI's list is number 97, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. So I guess one thing we have to note super early on in this episode is that we are using the 1982 regular-ass Blade Runner. Right. No director's cut, no finals cut. Yeah. This is just Blade Runner as it is. Yes. Theatrical, original theatrical cut. Yeah. Uh, so I I read the book, which this movie was inspired by, and I mm-hmm. sort of put that in sneer quotes because it's very loosely based on the book. Yeah. The book is Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which is quite a title, and they went with Blade Runner instead. Yeah. So this movie, 1982, um, just about an hour 50 no, it's almost two hours. Yeah, just under two hours then. Oh, yeah, that is an hour 50. <laughs> this is time. Wow. So, Ethan, why don't you give us a rundown of what happens in the movie Blade Runner? Yes, I will. Blade Runner, which is set in 2019, which we're getting dangerously close to. Yeah, pretty close to those replicants coming out of us. I know. Well, Ed, I just saw something actually recently on Facebook or something. Chris's birthday just happened, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So Blade Runner, which is set in 2019, tells the story of um, an ex-cop named Rick Deckard who worked for an elite unit that hunts and kills, um, or retires as they call it, uh, replicants, which are robots that appear to be human, androids. Replicants are banned on Earth, and the illegal arrival of four replicants sparks um, a series of events that brings Deckard reluctantly out of retirement. The four replicants are searching for their makers uh, in order to convince them to extend their four-year lifespan. Deckard, in his investigation, visits Dr. Eldon Terrell, whose company makes replicants. He meets Rachel, a replicant so well-made that she doesn't know she's a replicant. He eventually tells her the truth. She's horrified and attempts to run away. Meanwhile, Deckard tracks down the other replicants one by one, all the while struggling with a newfound empathy for them. Roy and Pris, two of the replicants, manage to meet Terrell, who tells him he can't extend their lives. Roy kisses him and then kills him. Deckard, after being saved from Leon, another one of the replicants, by Rachel, tells her that he loves her and that he's not going to hunt her down as he's been instructed. He then tracks down Pris and Roy. Um, After a violent fight, he shoots and kills Pris. Roy comes after him. Um, and despite having the chance to kill Deckard, he lets him live and then dies, having lived his full 
four years. Deckard then leaves the city with Rachel, mentioning that she doesn't have the four-year lifespan that the other replicants do as a sort of ray of hope and sunshine. So I don't understand this movie. And the reason I don't understand it is basically for all the plot reasons you just enumerated, (laughs) there's no story to this movie. There is a literal ton of prop and world design and environmental Mm -hmm. storytelling, but I don't get anything of what's happening. So why are the four replicants? Because Deckard is tasked to kill these four and then there's Rachel there, but he's right. she's really sort of out of his jurisdiction or he doesn't care or something. We'll get to her and why she's problematic <laughs> later. And Zora, which is the first replicant he retires, yeah, the female. is just working as a stripper. Yeah. Actually worse than that, she's actually fornicating with serpents. Yeah, she's and they're not even real snakes, they're robot snakes, so it's really a robot and a robot which is the one thing lifted from the book is that you know hence the title of the book do androids dream of electric sheep having artificial animals is a huge sign of wealth and so deckard in the book is actually trying to acquire uh some animal like that oh interesting so so let's backtrack here for a second this is maybe the third or fourth time i've seen this this film and my initial reaction when I and I saw I must have watched it in high school. My initial reaction was sort of like yours. I was like, I don't understand what's going on in this movie. I don't get it. I'm bored. This is supposed to be fun. Harrison Ford is in it. It looks great. Everybody says it's great. It bored me originally. And then I watched it again not too long ago. And then I actually it was like it might have been two weeks ago. I just sort of watched it, but half heartedly. And then I rewatched it again today. And in my final in my fourth viewing or whatever, I finally really started to get what's going on in in this film because it's all subtext it's all subtext so to answer your questions the robots come to the to earth to, i mean they come to extend their lives but i but i agree it's very confusing as to how long have they been on earth obviously long enough for this for this chick to be a a, a stripper somewhere but it doesn't even seem like she's intent upon extending her life she's not even associated with pris and roy and leon who are all of a crew zora just seems to be by herself doing her own thing and decker just happens to track her down and then murder her well maybe she's in hiding or something but that doesn't make sense because she wouldn't if you're hiding why would you be a stripper yeah yeah so i don't get that and then leon shows up right after so leon is either tracking deckard or is around zora which is not made clear well, I think he's in love with Zora. I think the two the two replicants or the four replicants are all uh, paired off, right? Is that what the the pictures are about? That he has a picture of her with the snake scale, artificial snake scale. Yeah, and I and it's unclear because the film makes it out like he might have a have memories implanted, like Rachel. Yeah, it, looked, it looked like implanted memories, and that was something someone else. But it looked like Zora, or at least had the same sort of. Right. So That's what higher. I think what I think it actually is, we find out that Rachel's a replicant and has all these sort of implanted memories that aren't hers. And then immediately after that there's the scene where Deckard figures out where Zora is or who Zora is by sort of analyzing a photograph that he's found in Leon's Which is an exact house. same scene of what is it, Patriot Games, where he's playing one of Tom Clancy's characters. Oh my god, you're right. And he's like enhance. Enhance. Yeah, and I then mean, the famous line, tits. 
Right. And well, in the future, you know, you can just enhance anything to the point of like 3D moving around the room. You might as well just be in the room. Anyway, but those scenes are sort of stacked together in a way that makes it seem as though Leon has false memories. But I don't think that's at all what's going on. I think Leon took those pictures like when they got to Earth. But that raises another question. How long have they been on Earth? It seems like they just got there, but they couldn't have just gotten there because yeah. she's worked at this place long enough. Leon clearly had some sort of job that he could get picked up from. Right. But Pris apparently is is just homeless walking the street. It, yeah, it's confusing. And they just happen to come across the guy they need to find. In order well, I to think get I think that was on purpose. I think that was sort of staged. I think yeah. I think Pris was planted there. But why now? Because now it's that their mortality, like their incept dates, are now three years and nine, ten, eleven months, and now they're getting ready to die. Right. Well, and and this this is what it really comes down to. I think if they're coming to Earth. And they've been there a long time. If they've been there a couple, you know, long enough to get stripper jobs and whatever, why have they been just waiting around? So what we're finding out is that replicants are actually the ultimate procrastinators. Yeah, they're. You've only got four years. So if you're, what are you doing getting a stripper job? You need to be finding this dude to extend your life. Well, maybe this is just commentary on humans, right? So if we're looking at androids and we're talking mm -hmm. about humanity versus android, they were actually yeah. asking what's the difference between those two. And really, what's the difference between humans trying to defy mortality and yeah. these replicants doing the same and that we're all lazy and once life comes to its end, that's when we start trying to do our bucket list, as it were. Yeah. Is that sort of what's going on? I, th I think maybe. I mean, we certainly can read it that way. So we're being highly irregular already I know. in our we... fourth episode, but let's put it back on track. Yes. And let's take a look at our pivotal scene. This pivotal scene, and like I said, it's, it might be clear already that I didn't get a whole lot out of this movie beyond <laughs> sort of the prop design and the world set and all of the very practical and technical effects that went into this. And I right. really appreciate that. And I honestly think that's why it's on the list. But we'll get to that later. This pivotal scene is when Roy actually meets Tyrell. And like you said, kisses and kills him. So let's go ahead and play it. I'm surprised you didn't come here sooner. not an easy thing to meet your maker. And what could he do for you? Can the maker repair what he makes? Would you like to be modified? Stay here. I had in mind something a little more radical. What? What seems to be the problem? Well, I'm afraid that's a little out of my jurisdiction. You I want more life, fucker. The facts of life. To make an alteration in the evolvement of an organic life system is fatal. A coding sequence cannot be revised once it's been established. Why not? Because by the second day of incubation, any cells that have undergone reversion mutations give rise to reverting colonies like rats leaving the sinking ship. Then the ship sinks. Okay, what we just listened to, I think, is the most compelling dialogue of the movie, which mm -hmm. it was kind of a clear winner in that I don't think there was many close... Wait, what are we going to put Harrison Ford terrible voiceovers in there? Yeah, the, vo the voiceovers are kind of corny. Although I would argue that 
Roy, the, the scene I, we played it in the last episode at the end for the the spoilers. That, oh, that his they, that his will ending be. scene. Yeah, that his ending. He has that ending monologue, which I'm pretty sure I read was uh, was ad libbed. Well, we don't. Yeah, well, it makes sense. We don't have any context for anything he's talking about. True, we so don't. He's just talking about these these giant ship battles, these stellar yeah, battles, space things. Sounds cool, but I mean, we don't get we didn't see any of that. So yeah. How about you lay some themes on us, and we'll discuss those. Yeah, okay, well, I, I've got sort of a lot. These are kind of nebulous, but we've got a lot going on. I think, obviously, mortality and sort of like legacy or what we leave behind is is huge. The androids are after, essentially, immortality. I mean, not totally immortal, but they want to live longer. I think sort of the nature, the, if we're going to sort of gesture back to the pivotal scene that we played, the nature of God or the, the sort of desire, the human desire to meet your maker is a big theme throughout or to know your maker, right? Let's drop in on that one real quick. Yeah. With that pivotal scene, Roy tells Tyrell, I want more life, fucker, as in mm-hmm. cursing at him. But they had him pronounce it in such a way that it could be televised as father. Father. Which I think there's an interesting, th- uh, you know, sort of dichotomy to talk about there between the two. Yeah, and I, that was something I hadn't noticed until this viewing that I did just earlier today. I wasn't sure if he had what what he had said. I was like, did he say father, or is he dropping f bombs? Oh, he's he's dropping the f bomb. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean he was, but I just hadn't noticed that before. And but I think you're right. That sort of duality, right, of how we can deal with that is interesting. So this is sort of the angst, the uncomfortable anger between father son superior inferior yeah. dominant dominant master slave right the, all these sort of dichotomies show up in this here he's the creator of these replicants they find all of their i don't know how you what you'd call them maybe godparents in that those that develop their eyes or their right. internals and then tyrell is sort of the master he created their brains as we learn Right. I mean, Tyrell is, he's sort of, if we're going to take a, you know, a religious turn, he's God the Father, right? I mean, there's a reason that in religions, there's, you know, or in in Christianity, right, there's God the Father and there's God the Son. Right. There's also his room, Tyrell's room, is actually based on one of the Pope's chambers. Oh, really? So Tyrell dresses very much like a Pope. He does, yeah. His room is very Popish. I don't know what you'd get, but that was something I had read in the trivia also. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes so a lot there's of definitely sense. the anxiety over mortality manifests as a kind of angst or uncomfortable anger towards your creator, Father, because mm-hmm. he is the one that gave you life. And maybe in one way we can understand him as the one also taking it away. Yeah, definitely. Because he artificially bounded that, the four-year sort of kill switch, the safety right. for the replicants. Right. Which still, four years is pretty, I mean, we think about how many wars last four years. So you can get a lot right. of carnage done in four years. Yeah, you can. But four years, relative, I mean, in the life of a normal human lifespan, which is what, around 70, 80 years? I mean, four years is a blink. Yeah. In, in an eye. You know, that's a, that's a college education. It's gone. Boom. Well, let's talk about the very problematic relationship between Deckard and Rachel. So he's this retired beat cop that comes out of retirement to retire replicants. And he falls in love with a replicant, but she's 
basically human. She has no termination date, and she has implanted memory. Well, she has they the illusion. say he says that she has no termination date, but I, I have a lot of theories about this ending. Well, I'm sure we can. Like, yeah. there's a lot of theory mongering we can do. But what I'm taking these these voiceovers, which at face value, yeah. I'm taking them at face value because the climax depends on us taking them at face value. In that Roy's death, when when Deckard is about to fall off the building, and Roy leaps over and then saves him instead of killing him or letting him die at the very least, mm-hmm. the voiceover says, "You know, he had been chasing for this additional life or something along those lines for so long. He maybe gained a new appreciation for life, and that's why right. he saves Deckard, which is the only thing we can sort of gain as a resolution to the movie. So I have to take those voiceovers." at face value because if we don't have them roy's actions become unreadable and then there's no real climax of the movie he howls like a wolf in his underwear and runs around on the rooftops so right. like, <laughs> like that's the movie so uh, that's sort of my angle the way i'm coming well at. and again we're getting ahead i'm i'm just gonna lay this out i think deckard is dead and so that's it's gonna mess the whole thing up but we need we need to we need to backtrack again we're getting crazy in this in this episode do we want should we go back to themes or should we hit thesis statements quickly let's just hit it let's just keep our pedal to the metal here we're turning around in episode four we're showing people we're breaking the bubble <laughs> we're going for it and maybe we'll we just created the rules and now we're breaking them yes we're, we're innovative in that way yes innovative Innovative. Innovative? Yeah, it's the same thing. Who are you? What are, uh, we, what? I put are the, you a replicant? I put the emphasis, uh, emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah, I think you did. Uh, if you saw a tortoise in the desert and it flipped over on its back, what would you do? Find its children and flip them on their back. These are statements. How do, you, how, do you, how do you feel about your mother? <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's one of the tortoises. No, I knew it. Thesis statements. Let's let, let me give you this. So this, I had trouble sort of putting one together for this maybe i say that every episode i don't know but this one was particularly challenging um and so what i have sort of gotten this is but just what i've morphed play-doh even if you can confront your maker life's big questions remain ultimately unanswerable or functionally unanswerable perhaps even functionally unsatisfying so life is about experiencing things not searching for answers i like that i worked outside of the so you your thesis was generated within the bounds of the movie mine's generated outside of it in that this is a visually striking movie full of all sorts of exceptionally well done practical effects Mm -hmm. but the story remains a cliched tired retired beat cop who has to go on one last job so I am at odds in that the plot and story and character development I find to be incredibly lacking, but the world that is developed environmentally through effects and through, like I said earlier, environmental storytelling, I think is stellar. Okay, but this is my question. How many times did you watch this film? Just once. Just the once. I think so, it's too much to ask people to, to watch a movie. So, okay, let's break okay, it down for yeah. a second. We talk about this a lot in creative writing. And there's a complexity to story that sometimes requires someone to read a story more than once. But there has to be something, there has to be a glimmer within that first read that then 
pushes you for that second read. Otherwise, that complexity will just remain confusion and it'll never be disentangled. So I don't have an answer for this and I'm sure our listeners have opinions on this, which I'd love to hear actually. Yeah. But how do you get someone to that, that second read? Or is it necessary for that second read? Can we demand that people read twice? So we'll put it back in terms of film. Can we demand that people watch this film twice or watch any film twice in right. order to get something out of it? Or should it be you know, available at one watching? And I'm not saying that you have to watch it and then understand it completely, but maybe you watch it and then you sort of meditate on it a little bit and then it sort of disentangles a little bit. So that's kind of where I'm at. Well, I wonder that that this film might be just sort of beyond that, that whatever the teaser for the second viewing, right? I mean, I feel like I w- I've watched this movie more than once, not because I loved it, but because everyone says that it's great. You know what I mean? I mean, it's on our list. And people love this movie. It's It's... It's in the National Historic Register. It's influenced lots of things. Again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But I, so I, if we're thinking meta, meta, um, in general here, I don't know that within itself it has the uh, the impetus for the second viewing. Yeah, but I feel like because of everything that surrounds it and all of the context, I mean that's why I watched it again. I was like, what am I missing? Why didn't I like this movie? So you're saying this movie may have deeper roots in a cultural register than perhaps it does standing alone as a film. Yes, in the in its first viewing, but in in its second and maybe third and fourth or whatever viewing, there is I think there's a lot more to it. With experienced eyes and having read other things people have said about it, I came back and saw it it's got a lot it's got more depth and Ridley Scott has some quote saying that like it he thinks it's his most completed or most fully rounded right. something like it's that the film most complete film he's ever done yeah most personal and complete or something yeah so i'll concede that what you're saying is probably the case that maybe a little more critical eye on the second or third keeping at it keep chipping away at it might yield yeah. a lot of value but i also think that's true of almost anything period yeah. and especially true of any of these movies on the list now the second part to this is that we are now nearing a gap in which a large portion I'd be willing to wager our listeners have not seen Blade Runner because it is actually a movie of an older generation in that it was really held up as something major, I think, in the early 90s. Right. Um, but I think that time has passed. Well, certainly more more listeners have seen this than Ben-Hur oh, or yeah. Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah, right? I think so. But I think Blade Runner was more culturally relevant to a degree that maybe some of these other movies had never been well right i mean i think all sort of films from the 80s are moving to a point where people haven't i mean they're it's like people talk about uh that somebody said the the other day that that movie heavyweights that disney movie do you know what i'm talking about it's about fat camp no i actually don't know this one Oh, it's, well, this is exactly it. Somebody said the other day, uh, they called it like, well, it's it's a classic. And I was like, that movie's like from the late 80s, early 90s. It's not old enough to be a classic yet. What are you talking about? And like, you don't even know what it is. Nobody's seen this. It's like a weird cult movie. I think Blade Runner has a status that is somehow more antique. And I think just if we speak in terms of amalgamated criticism and let's call it scholarship 
and sort of reverence than some of the movies that from like the 70s or 60s just because it was almost like it was weathered way quicker than any other movie just by the amount of tension that was like blasted into it yeah which may just be crazy but i think there might be something there yeah i think so i think so we, we, again, we're way off track. What, what are we doing? What are, what are you we know what? We're lives? lost in the world. And like you said, we should maybe not look for answers. But what we should do yeah. instead is ask questions. And I actually have three questions to ask you. Oh, do you? Indeed. And this is so we're returning to form here. Do we care about this movie? Yeah. I th- I, yes, we do. I do. It's, it's influential. It's important. What is it influenced? You have to sell this to me like you sold Oh my me. God, so many things. I mean, it, it's because it's Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick, first of all, has so much reach. Um, and this film, this... No I, one this read is... the book while making this movie. Okay, yes. I, maybe he didn't have influence with the people who are making this movie, which is insane. That's crazy. Although Philip K. Dick, before his death, did say, watching the first 20 minutes, I don't think he ever saw all of it. I could be wrong. That it was perfectly capturing his intent for do androids dream of electric sheep okay but they had never read it so zeitgeist i don't know that's crazy but uh, anyway do we care about this film i think yes i think it has like we've talked about it's got cultural capital it's influenced science fiction in so many ways i mean it's all there are i mean video game it's used future right this idea of used future it does that world building that uh, we'll see when we get to star wars and we talk about that and so maybe in some way it's piggybacking off that but i think it's sort of doing a different kind of twist on that that, that you see it's it's sort of a gritty i mean this is a transition from you know which i think maybe star wars begins in the 70s in the late 70s from uh, in film from flash gordon beautiful bright future to sort of dark right we've lost like the shining exterior of the space opera and now we're in the almost it's not cyberpunk but it's pretty close yeah we're this this is certainly if if it's not at the very beginning of cyberpunk it's on the on the cusp yeah and so i think this is something that for lots of people I mean, filmmakers cite this all the time, and video game makers and, and all that sort of thing cite this as, as hugely influential. It seems more so, from what I've read precisely about world building, which is what you've taken mostly from this from this film. So I'll agree that we care about this movie, but personally, I want to be on record as an avid science fiction and fantasy reader, you know, avid game player. I know all, right. all the things that people say about this movie, and I'm not convinced yet caveat being this is my first viewing well yeah and i and i did i've been sort of chewing on this all week and thinking you know do i want to say on our podcast that i think blade runner is overrated and i was like we just we we haven't liked any of these movies (laughs) well yeah i think at the what happens for me this is my experience is that we will watch the movie and i'll say all right and then we'll talk about it, and I'll gain a much deeper understanding for it. It's kind of like yeah. our graduate seminars where you read the book, and you're kind of like, well, I don't know what to come out with that. And then you talk right. about it for three hours, and you're like, oh, I think I have a handle on this, and therefore have a greater appreciation of it. Yeah. Well, and and part of my sort of like chewing on this all week and being like, I don't really want to say on, you know, for in public, in a public forum. To the world. That I, to the world that I think Blade Runner is overrated. And – I'm going to sample that, and it's just going to say, I want to say oh. to the world that Blade Runner's overrated. <laughs> Ethan no, Knight. you're taking me out of context. The media, damn it. And and I still think it's a little overrated. O- only a little bit. But a lot less so than I did 
this morning before I rewatched the film for the fourth time. This final watch before the podcast has, I feel a little differently than I did. Again, I still think they're, I still think it's a little overrated. I'm, I'm apt to agree with you, but I think I will probably rewatch this movie. I think I'll actually watch the final cut at some point yeah. and then see how I feel then. So one thing we didn't mention, and I know we're sort of running out of time here, but if I can just make a brief aside, when at Leon's sort of the Voight comp test, which is the Turing test modified to discover replicants as opposed to, you know, the artificial intelligence, Leon's answers and the Blade Runner who's questioning him, there are two different scenes of that, two different scenes shot, and they use those two takes. One we see at the very beginning of the movie, Another scene is being replayed in Deckard's car. It's a different take. And then it's back to that first take again. So there's a little bit of discontinuity that seems actually kind of glaring. And I'm wondering if that's something that's fixed in the final cut. Because is like the intonation and the response and even some of the words are different. See, no, the, my response to that, and we're going to, once we finish our three questions, we've got to talk about the ending and and some important things in this thing so this one might be a little bit longer than our other one but we've got to address these things i think that's purposeful because because deckard's a replicant (laughs) then he's dead that's what i've heard (laughs) that deckard's a replicant though i don't really have we'll we'll get to it all right let's let's let's, yeah let's let's, let's plow forward yeah plow forward does it hold up uh i think i think it well, we're nearing 2019, um, and it's sort of like Back to the Future 2, where, you know, we're like, this is not 2016 or but whatever. Philip K. Dick was always about sort of near-future dystopian. Yeah. I actually read this week uh, Scanner Darkly, while, oh, okay. and then ended up watching Blade Runner, so I had maybe a different experience. Well, I think it holds up fairly well. There are, there are some weird visual quirks. Uh, the story, I mean, is is just basically film noir and so that's if you like 50s film noir then this you know the, it's just more of the same just in a different setting i think this movie has some of the most stunning practical effects to date so yes i, I yes. still think the practical effects look great yeah in gen- most of them look really good yeah i would say 99 percent of the practical effects look i think the lighting is a little extreme Oh no, I loved the lighting. That was that was part that I really I have liked. something about darkness. I think it's because I have really bad vision to begin with, and I'm also night blind. So oh. seeing things at night gives me like I've heard that it actually I actually th- see things much darker than they actually exist. So maybe it's just me. Oh, so don't go to uh, 2019 San Francisco. Yeah, cuz I will because be unable to it's see. It's all in the dark. <laughs> Or all at or or Twilight. It's all Twilight or at night. That's a different movie. Also not on the list, which I'm oh, thankful oh, for. Thank God. So, what do we owe this movie? I think the the world building. I think I and know what that, you're going to say. What do you think I'm going to say? White Zombie's most recognizable song. More human than human. That why would you think I would say that? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't. But once uh, Tyrell said it, he said we're being more human than human. I was like, that sounds like a. A white zombie song and i looked it up and sure enough that's what the inspiration is oh my god you're conflating your bad taste with my good taste oh, i didn't say that i was into the song more human than human <laughs> but i did recognize it and it was played a lot on the radio station as a child oh okay that then we can we can absolve you of that sin but i think that's all we owe this movie is uh is rob zombie 
Yeah, you're right. Rob Zombie. That's <laughs> that's all it is. No, I mean there's a there's a lot. I mean I think it has a it it first of all it's really Scott and it's it's beautiful. I think there's a sort of this see, taking seriously science fiction, putting science fiction and film into different genres other than just sort of straight space opera. I agree with that, but then there's also problematic things for me where we do have this dark, almost cyberpunk film noir, and then you have the the spinning cars. They're called spinners. The mm-hmm. uh, They have one, you see one lifting off the ground for the first time, and it has this whimsical music behind it, and I'm kind of like, we're not really taking this seriously at this point. Yeah, I would say that the, there are, for me, I did feel like there were some, I don't know, incongruous that's probably not the right word no i think there's some incongruities i think you're right yeah there and i think maybe this comes from whatever weird editing things are happening because there's like 17 different cuts of this film yeah and so maybe the director's cut addresses these things better well the director's cut is actually incomplete the final cut is the one that scott actually gave his approval to just a little bit more trivia about that I think I read that there are seven different, or it's been, there have been seven different cuts. I think seven is the number. Yeah, I don't disbelieve it. There's all sorts of weird production stuff about this movie. People hated each other on it. There were some disputes between it. Harrison Ford's terrible voiceovers were originally thought to be sabotage to the film, but evidently his account is that he was given no directions. We just gave a flat account, and then when... You know, given direction, he would change it, but they just use those those takes, and he's they are kind of ridiculous. About them. I mean, they are. He's he he opens the film, and he's like, "Hey, yeah, I was a Blade Runner." I'm a retired Blade Runner. That was right. my job. Like it's that was a really my weird job. Delivery. Yeah, it feels like it's almost like uh, I don't know the Wonder Years or something. Yeah. Like he's he's like happy about. It. He's like telling. He's recounting his the greatest years of his life, and it's not. It's awful. <laughs> he's not saying good things yeah so i i've left wondering a little bit about the sort of production hell this film went through in order to get made but i mean the fact that it mm-hmm. did make it out maybe says something about it and i mean i guess we owe a great deal in terms of environmental storytelling but what i get down to and obviously the creative writing background really shows through here is that it doesn't we don't owe anything to it in terms of plot. Yeah, well, the plot is sort of, except for the existential stuff, the the straightforward plot is 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 uh, something that's been overdone. It's, it's a little tired, noir. yeah. Yeah. But I think there's enough sort of, it's really existential, you know, self-understanding, self-consciousness, well, I ideas think this, of personhood. This actually gets us directly into what you wanted to, to talk about to wrap up the episode. Yeah. With the ending. So why don't you lay us out your sort of headcanon of what happens here? Well, this is what I think. And because I had read somewhere after watching this movie for the first time years and years ago, saying that Deckard was a replicant. And I was like, what are you talking about? Why would you even think that? Having not seen the movie before this, I also heard that very often. Right. And... And even in this, in subsequent watches, I still was like, I, why, where are they getting this idea that he's a replicant? Today, when I watched it, I paid close attention to Harrison Ford, and I think that he's chewing on this idea. And there's a throwaway line that Rachel says, where she says, Did, have you ever done the Voight comp test on yourself? Yeah. And I, and I forgot that line. It's one line, 
Um, and everything else is all subtext. And that's why I think he keeps – I don't know if he's actually playing it in the car or if he's just remembering it. But the and – and actually I would argue that he's remembering it. The, the interview from the beginning with um, uh, – not Roy, with Leon. Yeah. Where you said that there are in, inconsistencies. I think it's because he's remembering it over and over and over He's thinking about the questions. He's trying to think about his answers. I think he suspects, he's beginning to suspect that he's a replicant. And that's why he feels so bad about shooting Snake Girl in the back. Zora. That's why he feels bad about shooting her in the back for the first time. There's also like nothing to distinguish her between a human. I actually thought she was a human when she was shot because I didn't see any indication that these were replicants. Uh, There's no visual cue in the film that says like, okay, this is a replicant. Well, the eye shine. The eye the shine. shine tells but once us, he shoots her in the back, you can't see that. Well, yeah, and she. We, they never show us any eye shine. Again, this is. There are some problems with the, with the filming of this. Sure. Because because I think we're supposed we're supposed to remember her face from the headshots of the replicants. But those the headshots beginning. are all very sterilized, and they're wearing like hair caps and stuff, and you can't really tell who's who. Right, and they mean nothing to us then. I mean, and they're not big name actors except for. Daryl Hannah. Yeah. And so Snake Girl is, Zora is nobody. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. So I think that's just a problem with the film. But I, so, so not only do I think he's a uh, replicant, but I think he dies at the end. I think he closes his eyes after Roy tells him, you know, that I saw the fires off of the angle of Saturn or whatever he says, that, that really great monologue. And so Harrison Ford, it's a, it's a close-up on his face. He closes his eyes because I, and they, he lets, you know, Roy lets the dove go. And it looks, you know, I think Harrison Ford thinks he's going to get killed. And then he doesn't. And then he opens his eyes. And we don't ever really see Roy again. And they're on the roof of a building. The, the cop guy that keeps folding the origami. Yeah. Which I think is sort of the embodiment of that itch you can't scratch that they talk about. The sort of fear that maybe... Um, you're a replicant or that your life means nothing um, or that you have no career, whatever it is, that guy's there and they're on the street. Yeah, I thought it was just, you know, let's cut to the more interesting part. You want to watch Deckard climb down the building the whole time, but I could also see your way. It doesn't make sense because Deckard is still on the on the ground after that guy turns around and walks back into the rain. Mm. There's a spatial and temporal shift that doesn't make sense there. And I think it's because Roy killed Deckard and then after that guy leaves and Deckard goes back to make sure Rachel's okay at his apartment and of course she's alive and he finds the little origami unicorn on the ground and he's like wow what's his name came and didn't kill her he let her live and then they're in the car driving and he's like yeah she didn't we're gonna go off together and she didn't have an expiration date like the other replicants that's all it's all it's his like moments of it's his like death it's his heaven or whatever it is you know his moments before death it's all it's not real i think i could buy that more if i didn't know this a little bit of trivia in that originally the script had a much darker ending and he probably was killed by roy or something i don't know what the darker ending was but they actually changed it to be a a brighter ending because they thought it would have better reception for it from the audience Right, I think that makes sense. I feel like there's a sense of that throughout. Like weird things like his monologue or weird musical shifts. So that disconnect you're seeing, it makes me feel like that's just inartful as opposed to something very complex. Like I think you're seeing complexities where there isn't. Where there aren't, maybe. But that's also just my opinion. And like I said, I've only seen it once. But I'm willing to venture down that road. But I also 
want to say there should be more evidence, more concrete evidence. It doesn't have to be super obvious, but there must be there there has to be a little bit more for me. And since I haven't seen it that many times, I can't say that it's there or there it isn't. Wait, wait, wait. More evidence that he's a replicant or more evidence that he's dead? Both. I think we need a little bit more breadcrumbs in order to make this a complex movie as opposed to a confusing movie. Yeah, and and I think there are problems with the with the sort of laying out of him as a replicant because if he's a replicant, then he has to be a Rachel-style replicant where his memories are fake. Right. But that doesn't make sense. Why? So if so if he's a Rachel-style replicant and his memories are fake, why would they program him to think he was in retirement? Why wouldn't he just be a Blade Runner? Well, it might be that he has he won't have the contacts he would, and so he'd realize that if he's still a Blade Runner, why doesn't anyone know him? Why isn't he more well-regarded among his peers? That sort of thing. And also, it also makes sense if he's a replicant created by Tyrell of the same brand sort of as Rachel, so that he can go retire the other replicants, which maybe Tyrell feared that they would come kill him, which in fact they did, so... Well, but 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 why would he... Why wouldn't they just send a real person? Why do you need to even send a replicant to kill the other replicants? Well, they're a lot stronger and faster. Well, well, but he isn't. Deckard isn't. Because he thinks he's a human. Oh, true. But when he gets his fingers broken, would that... No, I guess it would still matter because Roy pushes that spike through his hand to sort of up his adrenaline right. and keep him alive longer. Yeah. So it's hard to say. So there are problems there are problems with my own theory, right? So I think he really more importantly I think he's dead at the end. Yeah. And he's probably a replicant, but I think the execution of trying to figure that out or lay that out is just not good. Well, I think we'll go ahead and wrap this up. This has been yeah, let's do the it. chaos <laughs> of number 97, Blade Runner 1982. I'm sure hoping you stayed with us for this one. It's got a little crazy, but I think it was in a good way. So perhaps like the movie itself, there's a lot of shit going on, but there's something in there that's good that you can hold on to. Right. That's, I mean, that's all we can ever hope for in this podcast. So our next episode is Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee. Do the Right Thing. And that's going to be... Episode five, and after that, we're going to do a little recap. I think after five movies, we're going to do a brief yeah, recap. Yeah, where, where we've been and where we're going. Yeah, and so sort of keep our listeners, that's you guys, up with us on these things. So yeah. I think that's about it. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to leave you with some spoilers. But as always, I'm Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. I don't know why I turned into Batman at the end of that. <laughs> There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bazell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet. Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at Becca the Knight with a K, or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at spoilerscast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off-week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud. And review us, please. Thanks for listening. You know, deep down inside, I think you wish you were black. Get the fuck out of here. 20 de-energizers. 
Twenty C energizers. D, not C D. C energizers. D, fuck a D. Learn to speak English first, all right? D. How many you say? Twenty, motherfucker. Twenty. What the fuck you? Motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker, you. You, you all right, man? Long enough to do the nasty. Uh, no, come on, move that out. Hold up, wait a minute. First of all, it is too hot, all right? And if you think I'm gonna let you get some, put your clothes on and leave here, and I'll see you black ass for another week, you must be bugging. I see you tomorrow. You're right, and my name is Boo Boo the Fool. So no nasty, huh? <laughs>